Christian Church. Glad that you're here. If this is your first time, I want you to grab a Connect card in a chair around you. And if you fill that out and take it out into the hangout room, we got a free T-shirt for you. A free T-shirt for you. Come on. You have to fill one of those out for a free T-shirt. Uh, glad that you're here. How many of you know that the church is not a location? The church is not a building. The church is the family of God, and we can go anywhere to lift up the name of Jesus. Amen? And so we will go anywhere, and we are here today, and we could go outside in the 100-degree heat and lift up the name of Jesus. We just won't do it as well if it's in the 100-degree heat. We're in week two of a sermon series called Don't Give Up, and there's a springboard text for us, and it comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 7. Here's what it says. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the treasure that it is. And this morning, I have a personal belief that outside of the message of salvation, I'm not sure there's a more important message to give or a more important series to have or a more important Christian attribute to develop than the simple attribute of not giving up on you. So, Father, today, if there's somebody within the sound of my voice that's on the edge of giving up and they're thinking about giving up or maybe they have a history of giving up, Father, I pray that you would press in on their hearts and press in on my heart when I get afraid and I feel like quitting. Father, would you teach us something that we've never heard before today and would you remind us of things that we already know? It is in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you're pointing at, Jay. The lights? The ones on. <laughs> so we got a lot of things that we're going to still be trying to figure out in the next coming weeks. I, I think turn on the ones on the right. I think we need those lights. I don't know. Can you guys? And let there be light on the eighth day of Venture Christian Church. Let there be light. We, we're still trying to figure things out, guys. We're still trying. I'm confused. I'm confused. I don't get it. Why in the year 2019, in a time that we can send people to Mars, at least we say we can send people to Mars, in a time that we say that we can, well, we can, we can FaceTime people on the other side of the world without any cords. I don't know how that works either. I still haven't figured out cellular phones. In a time that we have recently developed earbuds where whenever you say something in a different language it immediately translates into my native language. Did you know that's now been created? In the last year, it's been created. It's about to hit the market. It'll only cost about $93,000 per earbud. <laughs> but in a time that we can develop that, we can't figure out how to do TV without four remotes. <laughs> Is anybody else having a problem with this? It, it, three. I, I exaggerate because that's what I do as a preacher. But it, it's, it's, it's three... <laughs> For our whole, it is four. We just re recently went to the fourth one because of the uh, Roku that Josh told us to get. But um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not holding grudges. You know that's true. You're the, you were part of the guilty part of there. We, we got, I'm trying to watch TV and there's, which remote does this and which, but we can do everything else, but we have to have four remotes to do TV. I'm frustrated. I am frustrated. But here's the biggest frustration for me. I'm wanting to watch TV, and I can't find the accurate remote that's supposed to be doing whatever the volume is. And then I notice it's in between the cushion and the sidewall of the couch. But it hasn't hit the ground, but it's not at the surface. It's right in between. And I nobody move. 
I don't want the floor to shake because you know what happens. I don't want that remote to go to the underground graveyard of mazes that is underneath the couch that I will not venture into. I, I just refuse. And so there's a moment where I try to reach, but you can't do it. It's impossible. You can't do it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because once you reach, what happens? Everybody else knows. You're all smiling. It falls into the maze of mazes. And once it falls into the maze of mazes, the metal bars that are underneath our couch, the dark underground world, I give up. I don't keep going. You're looking at a preacher that that's all it takes for him to give up. Is a remote that falls between the cushions. Well, I want to introduce to you in Hebrews chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, a group of people who wouldn't give up even if it was a remote that fell between the couches. And by the way, this Hebrews chapter 11 text is meant to be read in full. Usually, whenever we read a text like this in Hebrews chapter 11, we dissect it. We turn it into eight weeks. Actually, there's a lot of people there, so probably more than eight. We, yeah, we could preach on Hebrews chapter 11 for an entire year. We could take an entire year and go verse by verse through, through Hebrews chapter 11. But these letters were meant to be read in the same way that letters are written to you. You don't receive a letter in the mail. Do you even remember when the last time you got a letter in the mail was? But whenever you get a letter... It wasn't meant for you to divide it up into 10 days and to, and to dissect it for 10 days. It was meant to be read in full. And so we're going to read Hebrews chapter 11 in full from the New Living Translations. And I, I believe God is encouraging his people to not give up by looking at others who would not give up. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. And if you didn't get your Bible reading in this, this week, it's coming right here. We're reading the entire chapter. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Do you know what this chapter is about yet? You guys are observant. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and she was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count them. All these people died still believing that God 
what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them, and when they left, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. They were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right, around the Red, went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? Well, you've said a lot. <laughs> it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. Right there is as far as we usually read for Hebrews chapter 11. But there's another part of Hebrews chapter 11. All those people were named. How many? 16, if I counted correctly. 16 different men and women were named and considered because of their faith. But when you start with verse 35, we have people who were not named, who we usually do not talk about. Here's what it says, but others. There are others. And what were they? Tortured. They were tortured. And now here's the phrase, refusing to turn from God. Would you say that with me? Refusing to turn from God. What is that if that's just not, not giving up? 
That's not giving up, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They could have had a better life if they would have, re- if they would have turned from God. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. That's the flogging that Jesus went through. Others went through that. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. There's a legend that Isaiah might have been sawed in half. Other Christians must have been, and believers must have been sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were, they were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. How many people does verses 35 through 40 entail? 16 for the first 35. How many for 35 and 40 through 40? Thousands. Maybe millions. Maybe your story is verses 35 through 40. We don't know. We're just guessing on some of these, but there's probably millions of people represented in the latter half, but others. We're going to take some observations about this chapter in the coming minutes, but first I just want to ask you this question right here. Are you a finisher? Are you a finisher? Until you finish something, you don't know the blessing that comes with finishing. Until you see something through, do you know what I'm talking about? You see it through, through hell or high water. No matter how bad it gets, I'm a see it through kind of a guy. I'm a see it through kind of a gal. I am a finisher. And until you do it, until you've experienced finishing, you don't know the blessing that comes with being a finisher. I want to be a finisher. By the way, whenever you turn in a resume for a job opening, one of the underlying components that employers look for, they're really just looking, is he or is she a finisher? Why do they really want to know if you got your college degree, if, if, if that particular job requires a college degree? They just want to know. They don't really care about your grades. I don't, you know what, when I... When I was applying to be a teacher, I, I, I have a teacher's degree. They never looked at my grades. Thank goodness they didn't look at my grades. They just wanted to know, did you finish? Did you finish? Do you have the degree? And as we read through Hebrews chapter 11, those 16 names, I was realizing this week, those guys are finishers. Those gals are finishers. Did you notice when God called Moses toward the end of his life? 80 years old, he called him. Abraham, the scripture didn't just call him old. It's one thing to be called old. Some of you take offense at being called old because you are old. But um, (laughs) what's old? Anything over 37 is old. Uh, I didn't get many amens there. A lot of groans. Groaning Christian church. By the way, we're the only church that has a boo-boo room. Did anybody else see the boo-boo room when you walked in? There's a boo-boo room. I took a picture of it. I'm putting on social media. If if, if I had social media, I'd put it on social media. We have a boo-boo room. Where was I? Uh, <laughs> where'd that get off? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay out of my preaching, Joel. Okay. Um, all these guys, all these gals, they didn't give up on God. And, and just, just Moses, when he gets to 80, God looks at him and says, you're not a quitter. I can use you. Abraham, you're not a quitter. You kept your faith. Noah, you're not a quitter. You're a finisher. I want to be a finisher. Let me introduce you to a finisher, a modern-day finisher. None of us probably know who he is. His name is Robert McQuilkin. He was a professor of a seminary on the West Coast. 
He recently, to the surprise of everybody, he resigned eight years before he was to inherit his retirement. You say, well, why did he resign early? As a famous writer and a famous scholar, I think everybody was shocked. But here, here was his resignation letter that he wrote to the college. And, and just to give some context, he had, a, he had a wife who they believe was battling Alzheimer's. And uh, whenever he would leave the house, she would panic, and she believed that she had lost her husband, so she would wander around the town or the streets of the house looking for her husband. So that's the context here. He, he writes this to his college in his resignation letter. This isn't the whole thing, but I took most of it. My dear wife, Muriel, has been in failing mental health for about eight years. So far, I have been able to carry both her ever-growing needs and my leadership responsibilities at CBC, but recently it has become apparent that Muriel is contented most of the time she's with me and almost none of the time I'm away from her. It is not just discontent. She is filled with fear, even terror, that she has lost me and always goes in search of me when I leave home. So it is clear to me that she needs me now full time. The decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do his part. So integrity has something to do with it, but so does fairness. She has cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. If I cared for her for the next 40 years, I still would not be out of debt to her. It's more than duty. I love her. She is a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, occasional flashes of that wit I used to relish, it's still there. Her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of her continual distressing frustration, I do not have to care for her. I get to. It is a high honor to care for so wonderful a person. He's a finisher. He wrote a book after she passed in 2003. He passed in 2016. He wrote a book called A Promise Kept. And when I think of finishers, I think of guys like Robert McQuilkin. The last years are supposed to be the golden years. The last years are supposed to be the best years, the easy years. You just kind of ride off into the sunset, right? No pain, no heartache. And yet in the most difficult of times, Robert Quil uh, McQuilkin was at his best. He gave his all. He was a finisher. I want to share three things this morning that I found in this passage that God is doing in the life of his people, has always been doing and will continue to be doing. Number one is this, real quick. God was, and he is, and he always will be building our faith. He's doing that. Whether you know it or not, he is working on your faith. He is trying to strengthen your faith. He is trying to build your faith. This entire chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, is about faith. You, you saw it. It was written to a Hebrew people teetering on the edge of giving up on their faith. The word faith is used 24 times in just this chapter alone. We have the biblical definition of faith coming in the very first verse. Here's, here's what it says. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is when we can't see what lies ahead and we keep on running the race. I don't know what's out there. It's too dark to see what's out there, but I keep on walking with God. That's faith. Philip Yancey gave a great definition of faith. He put it this way. Faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Faith is, what tr faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Will you read that with me? Faith is trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Kind of like Marla Runyon, who went to the 2000 Sydney Olympics. You remember that Olympics? She went there to run. 
She didn't do very good when she was there. She was legally blind for 22 years. When she looked at the world, she saw no color. She saw no distinction between anything, no clear definition. She saw what she called a fuzzy blob. She had a degenerative retina condition that is called Stargardt's disease. That didn't stop her from running in the Summer Olympics. She qualified for the finals of the 1,500-meter race, though she finished just behind the medal winners. It was actually her second Olympics. She ran in the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. She participated in the seven-event heptathlon. She finished 10th. She's about to give up. She's about to quit. So discouraged, but somebody noticed she actually broke the American world record for the 800. So maybe she should start training for the 800. She hired a new coach. She got a new training resume, and she started training for the 800 and the 1500. In the 1999 Pan American Games in Winnipeg, she broke all records. Marlis said that when she ran, she simply focused on the blob of bodies ahead of her and tried to get in front of the blob. <laughs> That's a good approach. I never did get in front of the blob. That final turn, she said, was the hardest. She could rarely make out anything that wasn't even certain whether she was on the final stretch. She wasn't certain she was on the final stretch. She learned to listen to the announcer and the crowd. When they got louder, she just assumed she must have been on the final stretch. And she would set her course for the finish line, and she just kept running. That's what faith is. You just see a blob. You're not sure why this is happening. You're not sure how this is happening. You're not sure how you got here. But I'm just going to set my eyes on the finish line, and I'm just going to keep running. That's faith. That's not giving up. That's not having all the answers. That's not knowing all the answers to everybody's questions. That's not having the who, what, where, why, and how, but it is faith. It's just keep running. God is building our faith. Number two, God is building a family. Noah didn't know this. He thought he was building a boat. No, God was building a family. And I can't get into all the text and the reasons why that is. We don't have time today. But with God, did you know that you're related to Noah? How many of you know that you're related to Noah somehow, some way? God was building a family. If you don't know that, we'll talk after church. Um, there's some history we need to go through. But with Abraham, what was, what was God doing with Abraham? I want you to take off from your palace, take off from your mansion. I want you to go over there. And they were willing. He took his kids, Jacob and Esau. He took his family. He took his grandkids. And they went and lived in tents. They went and lived in poverty just because God told them to. It's just a blob. I don't know what I'm doing, but God was building a family. You know what God was doing then and what God is doing here? He's building a family of believers. And we may not see it. We may not be able to understand it. We may not be able to wrap our heads around it, but do you know what church is? Church is not an event. We did not come here to start a church to have a couple cool gigs. Church is not an event on Sunday or Wednesday or any other day of the week. Church is a community that becomes a family. What is God up to? He's building our faith, and he's building a family. It's what he's always doing, and it's what he's always been doing. It's what he's going to continue to do. By the way, do families always get along? Shake your head, no. <laughs> but we family. Does family have seasons? But we family. Sometimes, do families look pretty weird? <laughs> you know what we're called? We're, we are called a peculiar family in scriptures. That's a weird looking family. And you are a weird looking bunch of people. But anyway, just kidding. Um, 
You know what God's doing? People walk by or they come in and they say, that's a weird looking family. I mean, I don't know. They don't have very much in common. This person works over here. This person works over here. This person likes the Cowboys. This person likes the Texans. This person roots for A&M. This person roots for Texas. God's man roots for Notre Dame. Um, but everybody's rooting for different people. They have different likes. They have different hobbies. You don't have much in common, but we have one thing in common, and that is our belief in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are a family, and God is still doing what he's always been doing, and he will continue to do, and this is what God does. He takes his parts, and he moves them around the planet. He moves them around the globe to do what? To build his family. Well, I thought I was part of that family, but one day God moved you over here to build a family over here, to add to his family over here, and to add to his family over here. People didn't understand what Noah was doing. He was ridiculed for it. People didn't understand what Abraham doing. Abraham, you have lost your mind. And until somebody says to you, what in the world are you doing? You're probably not following God's will for your life. Until somebody looks at you and says, why would you do that? Why would you go there? Why would you be part of a team at Venture Christian Church? They meet where? At that Kids Are Kids? Praise God we meet at the Kids Are Kids. How many of you are happy that Kids Are Kids is here today? This doesn't look like a church. Oh, but this is a family. This is a family. And people may not understand it. They may not know what you're doing, but God is building something. Number three, God was and he is building a finisher in you. What's God doing in your life? I don't know. Yeah, you may not be able to articulate it, but it's wrapped around those three things. He's building your faith. He's building a family and he's building a finisher in you. After your baptism, you did not get out of the water, and then God go, done with him, on to the next one. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, and I am certain, I am certain, I am certain, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. On the day when Christ, what's he doing? He's creating and building a finisher. Three things he's always doing, building your faith, building a family, building a finisher. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Why, why is he allowing hardships in my life? Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me just tell you. It's really hard to be a finisher if you've never seen it. That's what I've gathered. If your parents weren't finishers, it's going to be hard for you to be a finisher. You can't be what you've never seen. But you can change that today. You can start a line of finishers. You can start a legacy of finishers. I love what Plutarch said. Plutarch put it this way. My Family tree starts with me. Now, I don't know what's in the family tree of Plutarch, but I'm just guessing there were some hardships in the family tree of Plutarch. I don't know what he... So this is what happens. Well, my grandpa was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Well, my grandpa struggled with this. My dad struggled with this. It's just in my family tree, Nathan. Doesn't have to be anymore, starting with you. Through the power of God, through the power of the gospel, through the power of the blood of Christ... My family tree, our new legacy, our new family starts here today. You can change that. 
You say, well, I've never seen it, though. Look no farther than Jesus Christ. Most scholars agree that the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12 should be involved in Hebrews chapter 11. Man put the division of, ch of chapters in the Bible. We, God didn't do that. But here's Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, that's the hint he's talking about chapter 11. Therefore, based on everything you just learned in chapter 11. Therefore, based on the 16 faith heroes, chapter 11. Therefore, based on the thousands who were tortured, who wouldn't give up. Therefore, we, Venture Christian Church, also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with, what's the next word? Endurance. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you don't know what a finisher looks like, look to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. He's a finisher. And when he went to the cross and he spread out his hands and the nails were driven through his hands and the nails were driven through his feet and the crown of thorns on his head, the three words that he said was, it is finished. Jesus is our finisher. And if you don't feel like you can finish, you don't feel like you can keep going, lean on him. He'll carry you through, amen? He will carry you you through. Well, Nathan, what's our motivation? Our faith heroes gave us a motivation in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read it to you. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That's why this church is here. Make sure we all get there. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. How easy we forget. This visible realm is going to give way to an eternal and everlasting realm. Everything we see that is so important is going to give way to that which is eternal and unseen at this moment. And we're going to learn that everything that is there is more real than everything that is here. How easy we forget that life is just a vapor. It's just a mist. It's just here for a little while. We forget where our real home is. I was not built for Houston, Texas. This being right here is not built for Houston, Texas. As much as Houston is home, it will never be home. We were built for a city that was prepared by God. I was not built for strife. I was not built for division. I was not built for hatred. You were not built for sin. You were not built for bigotry. You were not built for racism. You were not built for hatred. You were not built for all the evil that this dark world has. We were built for a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we... We are that family. We are those people. We were built for something better. And they put their hope into something better. A heavenly homeland. So while we're here, let's just remember, God loves you so much and he thinks your career is so cute. I'm not belittling you. Me too. He thinks our little projects are so cute while we think they're so big. Oh, look at him. They think it's so important. <laughs> look at them. He's stressing out over that. Over that spreadsheet? Are you kidding me? 
What's going to remain when it's all said and done? Our swag? Nope. Our 401k? Nope. Our legacy? <laughs> our success, our reputation, our mansion that we build here, the boat that we have out at the lake? What's going to remain when it's all said and done? The church is going to remain. When Jesus comes back, the Bible says that there's going to come a day that the, the sky is going to split open, the trumpet will sound, and Jesus will return. And when he returns, every knee will confess that Jesus is Lord and Lord of all, that Jesus is God and that Jesus is Savior. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he comes back, we are going to be reminded that this is all temporary. This is all momentary. And all those hardships that we thought were big here, he calls it light and momentary. That big project we thought that was so important, it was light light and momentary. And the only thing that's going to remain is God and his people. So while we're here, while we're here, let's not give up on God and let's not give up on his people. And as the lead minister of Venture Christian Church, let me just tell you this, we're going to keep moving forward. God has big plans for this church. God has big plans for your life. And God has big plans for my life. And it's pursuing Christ together. And we're going to change and we're going to keep changing. And if you look around, this is a change. We weren't meeting here last week. We were at a different building last week, but now we're here today and we're going to keep taking risks and we're going to keep risking money and we're going to keep using money for the furtherance of the gospel and to keep building God's family. Our goal is not to see how much money we can rack up. Our goal in our family is to leave empty handed. Our goal is not to see when we get to 75 years old, if we can get a house at Palm Beach. Our goal is life change. We want some stories that when we're split in a small fry at McDonald's and that's all we can afford at the end of our life, that we can look back and say, look at that story and look at that story and look at that story. And we may not have enough money to buy a large fry, but we can, we can buy a small fry, but we, we made a difference while we were here for God. And we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep having changes. And this is a new building and a new room and a new atmosphere and a new children's area, a new parking lot and a new air conditioning unit that I'm a little bit concerned about right now. But this is all new. But we have the same journey and the same mission and the same goal and the same agenda. We will not give up on God. Are you with me? Let's do it.